You're listening to Butter Cuts. It's Tuesday, February 16th, 2021. In today's episode, we feel the vibes from the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am, Pro-Am-less for the most part. Uh, we dive into the Genesis next week and a couple of nuggets about Tiger's putting selection. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Buttercuts podcast. Weston, how are you this evening? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm doing good. Had a basically a day off. Um, had to go in for a little bit and do one lesson and a couple of other things. But other than that, it was kind of a relaxing President's Day for me. So that's nice. That's great. Never, never bad thing to get a day off. No, no, it was, it was good. Um, after a, a pretty low key weekend actually ended up having to cancel the golf trip. Well, it got canceled. The guys who, who planned it ended up canceling it uh, because of the weather that it was supposed to be going up and coming back from mm. St. George. So didn't get to go play golf this week, which was a bummer, but not, I mean, after hearing how the, how the roads were, it probably wasn't the worst thing that we didn't end up going down. Nope. No, we, uh, we did go away for the weekends. It's been up to Bear Lake, but man, the roads were sketch and on the way there and on the way back separate days, I saw cars that had slid off the road. So it's uh, no joke out there. No. So, well, did you get to watch any of the tournament? I know that you're up in, in Bear Lake. Did you get to watch any of the, the AT&T? I got to watch a lot of the highlights. Um, and, man, that course is just awesome. I love it. Yes. <laughs> I've been able to walk it before, and it's just an absolute gem. So anything that goes on out there is, is really cool. But, um, yeah, love Pebble. Yeah, we had Spieth in the mix again. 54 hole leader by himself, uh, but doesn't get the job done once again. Uh, Daniel Berger comes up huge, like mm -hmm. comes out on fire, um, goes three under first through his first three holes, and then just kind of hangs around, you know, the top of the leaderboard. He had Lashley kind of pull ahead there for a little bit, and then he had a little bit of a breakdown. <laughs> Um, towards the end of the round, um, Spieth, he just got wild with his driver. He hit a couple of really, really good drivers and a couple of really, really bad drivers that yeah. just never really gave him a, a chance to, to get in position where he needed to, to be. So, um, watching Daniel Berger and it was, you know, he's got one of the more unorthodox swings you would say on, on tour, but dude hits the ball so so good i mean it's yeah. it's always just that for the most part unless he tr really tries like he did on on 18 it's mm -hmm. just a nice little nice little cut just really controlled really flighted it's pretty awesome yeah. i was watching his swing in slow-mo and because i'm just like what's what's the secret sauce here what's going on because he picks it you know he comes back perfect you know like p1 he's perfect and then as he comes up to the top, 
he's just kind of really reaching high and then laid off laid like off. beast. And I'm like, okay, that's, you know, most golf instructors aren't going to teach that, but that's just what he feels like his full swing is. But then from there, the, the second he starts to transition and drops in right there, he looks like Sergio. Like he is perfectly on plane. Everything looks money. Um, and he just turns through it so nicely. If you watch the swing, just after that second, he brings his arms down. It's like textbook yeah. perfect. Yeah, so, it's it's really good from that that little hitch up at the top. But like I said, from that point, I mean, if you look at it from an instructor's perspective, it's really, I mean, it's a different thing. But all he really has to do is kind of drop and let those hands just kind of go there and then turn, and he's he's fine, mm -hmm. right? And like I said, it's not something, and it's something you try to get the feel of because a lot of people are way too vertical mm -hmm. with that, not as laid off as, as he is. So, I mean, but with what it is, it's, it's consistent. It's the same, it's the same every time. And every time. I was, I was kind of looking at it and I'm like, he kind of went off the grid there for a little bit, but I guess he had a wrist injury. Um, when I was reading up on it a little bit, he had a wrist injury that, that kind of set him back in 2018, 2019. So, I mean, if he does what he, you know, keeps doing, he's been, I think I posted it and saw something. He's got 29 rounds under par. Yeah. Is, is what it, it may be 26. It may have been 26, but he wasn't the one that I would have picked to win. I thought if anybody was going to catch, it would have been Cantley and, and Cantley actually had a, a few struggles on mm -hmm. the backside to, to get him out of it. Um, speed, like I said, just, he was around, but it didn't ever look like he, he caught stride to, to get, get himself yeah. in, in the, in the mix to really make any, any noise for it. Yeah. He had some early bogeys that just really stalled his, you know, potential charge. And, you know, when you start off with those bogeys like that, shoot even on the front it's pretty hard to catch up although i had hope for him because typically he did pretty well on the back nine yeah but uh, yeah he would have done something super special back there to to have a chance yeah and once he got to that point there were so many people in the mix when he was two three back i mean there were seven at times i think seven guys ahead of him mm -hmm. so that's really just a lot of people to pass um and you know, a couple of guys that surprised me, you know, Lashley's been there, but to see him kind of going along as well as he was. And, and then all of a sudden he had one shot that he didn't really like and kind of got a little, little miffed. And then the on 14, that was just, I think it was, was it 14 or was it 16? No, it was 16 or a four. I think 14, he had the little bit of an errant shot and got a little hot. And then 16 just yep. missed the long. green long, <laughs> whether he got a little bit of a flyer or it was just a little amp, got it past the green. And then, man, that was hard to watch. <laughs> I, yeah. actually to, I actually had to re rewind it just to see him miss his third butt. Because oh. I was like, I was like, it wasn't that, but he just flat yanked it when he missed yeah. it. So, yeah. um, Never want to see that. So that was there. Maverick McNeely, who knows? 
whether he's going to kind of be the guy that kind of hangs around with his game yeah. looked really, really solid. So yeah, it'd be yeah. interesting to see whether he kind of, this kind of sparks him and gets him going. Yeah. It's been interesting. Um, you know, the last couple of victories on tour have been from people that just shoot a great number on Sunday. Yeah. And, and, um, Ironically, both both Florida State Seminoles, <laughs> they played yeah, on the same yeah, same team. <clears throat> but so. yeah, you can't try and protect the lead out there. There's guys no. that just get too hot, and you know, Spieth needed a number, and Daniel actually put it up. I mean, he shot yeah. the I think the low round of the day, seven under. So yeah, sixty five. And that, that yeah, eagle putt on the last hole just to bury the tournament that was impressive yeah he only really needed to two putt it but he hit such a good putt and that's what happens when you hit putts to just not necessarily he i don't think he was trying to lag it i think he was hitting a solid putt right yeah he wasn't hitting anything he's just like okay good speed if i can get good speed on this and his line was was good and it's going to go in yeah so that's the thing so the other question that I posted to some, some of my, you know, people on, on Instagram was, is Spieth back after two top fives in the last two weeks? Is he back? (laughs) And I'm on the fence because he still got loose with the driver and that's what's hurt him in the past and really kind of derailed him, but everything else looked to be better. Yeah. well, I think that he's in a lot better spot. I mean, he's obviously playing well. You know, you know, you don't shoot 15 under at Pebble over four rounds, and and he's been doing it. You know, two weeks in a row, which is fantastic. Um, but then again, you know, what if what if we have a little bit more a talent there? What if Rory and DJ and you know the rest of the top 10? were hanging out and they were playing, you know, what would have happened at that tournament? Would he be, he even come close? And right. he's definitely been hanging out in some of these um, tournaments, but um, you know, is he back? I I'll say he's in back when he's like top 10 in every major this year. That, <laughs> that's when I'll say he's back. Yeah. I, I mean, I think when he's back, he's, he's just, he competes in a couple of majors, makes the cut and the rest. So like I said, it'll be it'll be an interesting thing to follow. It it was nice to have him in the in the field because he does bring some eyeballs. People know him, and when he's when he's on, he like I said he's got that that little bit of swagger and to go with it. So it's kind of fun to watch. But like oh, I said, bring it bring it back to to Daniel Berger and. And I didn't read that this because I was going to look this up and you you put it up there there for us. But uh, Berger's playing the TPC or the TaylorMade TPMC 11s. Yeah, 2011. I mean, this is a really cool equipment highlight. Um, a guy's playing, you know, irons that are 10 years old. That's yeah. They're not the oldest. I looked it up. I, I had to see. It's actually Adam Scott who's got the oldest. He's playing irons made for 2005. But man, 2011, these probably have to be the second oldest irons on tour. Um, and I think he's been collecting a couple of sets. And that was kind of the yeah. joke last time he won. 
and he's like wait you got a backup set i'll buy those and um <laughs> he just doesn't want to change and that no i think and that's they were, awesome they were really good good iron like that may have been taylor Maine's best like mc in 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 a long time wow. and in in actuality just from what i re- am recalling on that oh yeah um, but if i remember we did one and there was another person that we another player that we highlighted that had an older set it may have not been an old an 11 but it was still a few mm-hmm. generations old in in their iron set so like i said sometimes you just get the one that that works and nothing can can replace that 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 iron oh yeah so well i think it's awesome i mean everything else in the bag is pretty up to date but yeah these irons 10 years old and they're working like a charm and heck if i win a couple tournaments on tour with a particular set of irons i don't think i'm going to change sticking sticking with it so but moving on to that the other kind of big news that that came out recently was the the pga of america was going to allow uh, measuring devices allowing range finders um in the the pga championship and uh the lpga pga championship and the senior pga championship mm-hmm. um what are your thoughts on that i mean yeah that this is this is an interesting one will it help pga tour players no it won't um but will it help some of these other fringe players that come and play in those championships like the you know all all the pga class a professionals that qualify and and get on tour because one they don't they don't have an amazing tour caddy that walks the course on monday with a range finder that has slope and charts the whole thing better than uh, i mean look what they do is ridiculous but but you give it to a pga pro who's in a pro shop all year and maybe gets to go play tournaments and qualifies he's going to need that thing so i think it makes sense for them but on a pga tour level uh, that's that's not really going to apply uh yeah it's it's when you read the kind of the comments from the different players and i just read it from a few of them most of them are like there's a lot of caddies that you know aren't even gonna they're not even gonna use it and they said yeah it's for speeding up play and even that i don't necessarily know that that's gonna i mean if you've seen a a tour and the upgraded tour yardage book i mean there's no there's no number that they they don't have right at the their kind of beck and beck and call that's gonna take them that much longer um the one thought was that when they're really offline when they're out of position is when it's when they will go okay i can now i can shoot the flag and then get a number from there so that may may speed up there but there was it's kind of a toss-up whether you know those most of those tour caddies are even going to want to use it because they're you know they feel they take pride in what they do and feel like their information is is as good as it needs to be so well and it it, it really is i mean it's not the the biggest advantage i've seen to technology in regards to rangefinders is you know you take a course that has some tee shots where you've got some 
downhills or uphills or whatever, they have the latest and greatest technology. They've got slope and everything. And they'll go out in the practice rounds and they say, okay, this tee box is actually, you know, 12 yards lower. It's a minus 15 and whatever that calculation is. And they right. write it in their they book. They write it in the book. Yeah. yeah. It's like, <laughs> what's the difference of using it on the day of or not? And then they yeah. got a pin sheet with the exact pin locations. And down, I mean, obviously down to the yard. And so they just go off everything that's right there. And then they do the calculation. They're getting the exact same number. And yeah. And the reality is, is the player really wants to know his landing number. He's not yeah. looking, you know, he may get number to the pin, but what's great about PGA Tour players that I think is different from everybody else is that they're hitting to a position where they know they can make a putt. And, right. you know, oh, I need an uphill putt. And if I'm 15 feet or 10 feet, it doesn't matter. It's uphill. I can be aggressive and make that putt. And so there, there are times on the course where I don't even think about that. I'm like pin, number do it and so um, <laughs> it's just it's a whole different game yeah and I mean they're they're looking at you know what the yardage is to the front edge so that they can they can get their calculations and in players even like us we're looking at okay what is the cover yardage what do we need to what do we need to land this to get it back to the green so all you're doing is getting a rough guess with the with the thing anyway you're like oh okay it's that to the pin and then I want to land it so many yards short you know so they can yeah. do it i don't know that it's going to be a big like game changer um within no. the pga tour or the, you know within the major and i don't know that they'll ever really adopt it unless they see a huge increase in in speed of play that would be the only thing but i don't think enough of them are even going to use it yeah to to really make that big of a difference and and um the truth of it is, is they, they've got these same yardage books, like they hold on to them. So, yeah. you know, take a player that's been on tour for a while, like Rory, he shows up at Torrey Pines. He has the same yardage book he's been using for 13 years on tour with all the notes. Yeah. Like, and if there's, if there's any changes, he'll make, he'll, yeah. he'll update his notes into the new one yeah. and then make the, the updated changes. So they've yeah. got way too much information on, in those books that, and, for yeah to top it off though there there is skill involved and, and here's a real story um so i was i was down at riverside country club and i got to play with dan forsman and at the time he was you know he, well he's a five-time pga tour winner and he um he was like just getting ready to go to the senior tour so he's like 49 years old <clears throat> i'm just like this punk 28 year old like oh, i'm i'm hot stuff i'm gonna beat this pga tour player well, we get on the third hole. I'm like, hey, you I noticed he wasn't like pacing anything off. I'm like, that's weird. I know it's his home course, but I'm like, hey, you want me to laser that yardage for you? And he's like, no, you know, I can get a yardage perfect right down to the number from my caddy. There's just an element of feel that you have to have when you're playing out on tour. Well, he, I, I had a great round. I shot 66 and I lost by two to a guy that didn't even walk off a yard like that's how good these guys are so right. uh, it, it's incredible yeah it's like i said i don't think it's going to be that big of a deal and and that that seemed to be the kind of the consensus with the guys that that they got quotes from on the golf channel it was yeah yeah they're going to use it maybe when they're out of position um but 
it's not going to make that big of a deal to face a player or anything like that. So it'll be, it will be interesting to see, but like I said, I think it's a big deal to do about nothing yeah. <laughs> really. <laughs> so, um, an interesting article that, that I sent you, uh, last week was that I came across an article about the one time that, <laughs> um, Tiger Woods gained something other than a, than his original, uh, TI or the one that he won 14 out of 15 made their Newport that he won uh, 14 out of 15 majors. Um, it was an article in golf magazine about how him and Brad Faxon were always kind of comparing numbers and, and what they were doing when they went into Scotty Cameron's studio and, Yep. And so Woods game, I think they said it was in the 1997 or yeah, the 1997 Buick Open when he gamed a Laguna putter that had the flow neck uh-huh. um, rather than the, the fax day putter that they called it that was the Laguna with the, the plumber's neck. So that was yep. kind of interesting to see that, you know, because they're both obviously – Faxon's a great putter and you know tiger <laughs> clutch putter extraordinaire right and probably the most famous well definitely the most famous scotty out there so oh, it was cool. interesting to see kind of how those two kind of looked at each other and kind of whenever they came in they wanted to see what the other guy was working on oh yeah yeah, absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> Tiger knew what kind of a putter Faxon was, and and uh, I even pulled up some data on Faxon. He he wanted to know what kind of progression of putting he had, and um, when he met up with Scotty around '95, and he got a putter made for him. This is kind of where his putting really started to take off. Um, he was seeing some flashes of brilliance in the early '90s, like '93. But once he saw Scotty, there was a stretch there for about uh, 11, 12 years where he was pretty much in the top 10 of putting on tour. So that's, um, it's crazy. And so he was putting up those kind of statistics, um, you know, before Tiger got on tour. And he continued to do that while Tiger was on tour. So, yeah, being a stats leader in putting, it's pretty awesome. But I guess yeah. what made that possible was the technology that Scotty had. And so, you know, most people might consider Scotty not being too innovative in his designs, but the innovation really came when he developed a three camera system, you know, from above, right next to the putter and from behind and all of these working in unison to record the putting stroke of that flare. And he could hear what they're saying, you know, how do you feel about the putt, whatever. And he could record it and see if it correlates with what's happening. And so by having that immediate feedback, seeing if the ball was actually rolling off the putter face, he could make those tweaks, build the perfect putter for players. And honestly, that's why so many people gaming Scotties on tour have seen that type of success because they have all that data they're able to reference. And the reason that's all still valid in the conversation is because those recordings are what Tiger wanted to see. And those are the recordings that Brad wanted to see of Tiger. So it's really cool to see them, you know, have the admiration 
of each other and then want to be able to see the the video and the data of how they're putting right it's yeah it was it's it was a crazy story just like said most people and and i didn't know this that he he played that putter you know for that that one time (laughs) probably just messing around and going hey this you know this style not the exact same one Mm -hmm. has worked for a guy who's been rolling the rock pretty well and so he tried it and then obviously later went on to to switch out of it and and win the the masters with the 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 ti or the tei3 or whatever the the one that only won you one different and with uh, the new port so but that was an interesting that that guys like that and it's interesting as you listen to that more that they do guys will feed off of and look to other players that they that they really admire what they do and they right he he was he really looked up to how facts and putted so he wanted to figure out what he was doing and see what he could use to put into his putting stroke to to get that in so it was an it was definitely in an interesting read um and it's fun to see stuff like this come out out about those guys that is not not necessarily always in the forefront yeah and man if you if you want to get dialed in and improve your game i i would say go get a putter fitting (laughs) go get that dialed because you if you're a great golfer you're going to use that club 50 percent of the time so um yeah, uh, any recommendations out there? All the other stuff, very important as well. But um, you're using the putter the most, and it's a guarantee yeah. like, almost every hole, unless you're chipping in. So yeah, it's it's really surprising that we don't do more putter fittings. Um, and it's like I said, it's kind of a it's kind of a mix, right? There's times where where players will come in and they just don't have the right putter that's for their stroke, whether it's the line, whether it's the weight, whether it's the whatever it is, but I've had guys grab, you know, we'll put them on the SAM lab and analyze their stroke and kind of do some things there and then start doing some testing and you'll pull them out of their gamer and put them in something else. And their stroke immediately gets, gets better, right? Mm -hmm. Less, less wobble on the way back or, or just, they see the line, they line it up better. Um, But sometimes it's all that it needs to be done is, well, let's, that's adjust your loft lie, right? Their, their lie there needs something that's maybe 68 degrees. You know, it's really flat. They like their hands a little bit lower or they like their hands a little bit higher or they just, they add loft, loft. So it's, mm-hmm. I mean, getting that dialed in, at least it gives you the confidence to know that you're putting with something that you line up good and that you put a good stroke on, right? Yep. Everything else you can, can work on at that point, right? You can work on getting the right line or lining it up on, you know, at the right spot and doing some things that way to, to improve it. But there's a lot of guys that just, well, this one feels good. And those are the guys that will end up going through four butters a year. Or just really struggling with it. So either way. Yeah. But yes, 
people go get a putter fitting (laughs) (laughs) dial that sucker in because it's it's amazing how much getting that dialed in will um help you out it'll increase confidence throughout your whole whole game if you can be confident in the putter so but moving on it was a relatively kind of quiet week this week with the AT&T Pro-Amless being being played um, this week. Um, but this upcoming week, we got uh, the Genesis at the Riv. Mm-hmm. And then the Corn Ferry kicks off their, their season as well. But that's not going to be – it's not even going to be on TV, which is – really crazy that you don't get a, a corn fairy tour event that is even <laughs> televised yeah so, but we get to watch we get to watch riviera which is another really really solid track yeah riviera is a lot of fun and it's of course you've seen you know televised enough to where you get familiar with the holes and, and that one green that uh, has a bunker right in the middle of it so. Yeah, the par the par three, and then you know, the, I think uh, number ten is that short par four, number ten, that kind of gives people yep. a little bit of right. It's it's interesting to see kind of the stats on guys going for it and not going for it, and what the scoring average is. It's it, I, and I'm trying to remember it. I think they were they were talking about it last year, and guys going for it. I don't think their scoring average was much better, but it's just what they were comfortable with. So it'll be an interesting to see how that that whole plays plays into it, which kind of brings me back to this. How did you like the them pushing up the T on numbers? They push it up on 10 and 18 the final day at, at Pebble. I, I thought it was great. Um, I, I felt like... Uh that's what you need a little bit of excitement um you know people birdie in the last hole to to get closer create that tension um yeah i'm i'm a big fan of par fives at a risk reward and, and i think a mm-hmm. hole like 18 at pebble is a perfect one to do it on because again you have you know all this water left and if you miss it far enough right you shut yourself out of the hole so it's not a, a very easy tee shot and i think it's a great risk reward and, and Daniel Berger took advantage of it and he had to hit two perfect shots and he did. I mean, he got, he squeezed by that, the trees (laughs) on the right, just barely, which most people were taking it just to the left of the trees to get it into that spot. But I mean, it gave him the perfect thing. And then that, that fairway wood that he hits was just, that was crazy good. Yeah. I, I think the real stat that blew my mind uh, about pebble is that um pebbles greens are ridiculously small mm-hmm. hard to see on tv but uh, i was comparing it like i even broke out an, an app that measured area and i, I was right. like Whoa, what are these greens at some of my local courses like thanksgiving point and um, thanksgiving points are huge, <laughs> massive right? they're like six to seven thousand square feet greens and then I went and measured pebble greens and they were like 2000 square foot greens. Uh-huh. So they, they were two thirds smaller than the, you know, 
say, or even like Fox Hollow, I went and measured, and those ones are around four to five thousand. So it's like they're half the size of those screens, and then you put the yardage on it, and then that dense sea air and wind yeah. blowing, and that course gets yeah. really long. It was it was fun it was to watch. Fun to watch. Um, I know that, um, and we, you know, 18 was great that they moved it up. 10 was, was interesting because speed, you know, I thought it, it may have given him a jump where he hit that drive on 10. He hits it, takes it a really aggressive line on 10 and then knocks it to about three feet, makes birdie on 10. But it was a shot that made you think, right? Most, <clears throat> most of the guys were hitting something, you know, and leaving themselves, 100 yards, 80 yards, you know, and Speed took it on a pretty aggressive line where he brought in the cliff on the right a little bit. Um, but it was fun to see that up a little bit on that small, shorter tee box to to make them decide what they were going to do on that hole. That was kind of cool. And I think they need to do that a little bit more on the, on the PGA Tour, kind of push it up and just see, see what happens. Mm-hmm. Right, make these guys still hit shots. You still have to hit shots, and everybody, obviously, they're all playing from the the same same spot. That's a, a pretty obvious thing, but it's it kind of puts guys in the position to make a make a choice, right? Yeah, I and I like those. I I love those short par fours, and um, I think there was one at like was it Oakmont or something where everybody that went for it just gets hammered they just get just murdered because the rough is so long and it's so nasty and um and it's like how many times would a pga tour player if he hits a five iron to the center of the fairway and has 100 yards in how many times is he gonna birdie like almost every time <laughs> and, and they just go for it it's just yeah. it's so uh, you, you, it would be interesting to see the stats because i mean if you really look at it it's probably not almost every time because from 100 yards, the average, I mean, from 100 yards, the proximity to the hole is is about 18 feet. <laughs> so, I mean, you're probably 25, 30% of the time that you're making a birdie there. And yeah. if you get in, you know, if you get it next to the green, it's the same thing that kind of came into play at uh, 16 at Harding Park in the this last PGA Championship, right, where – guys who went for it and guys who didn't, it just was, it was a decision they had to make, which was, which is nice to see rather than just, no, we're just going to hammer it down here and then, then hit a wedge, hammer it down here and hit a wedge. So choices are always, are always good. in in my opinion on some of these, right. You don't have to do it every hole, but Mm -hmm. I like that they did it that way because it changes the golf course for them. It changes their course strategy. You know, it's some of the holes that don't change. And guess what? Every day it's the same thing. And yeah. um, having a little bit more a dynamic approach, it's it's pretty fun. Yeah, for sure. So getting us back onto what we were talking about, the, uh, the Genesis at Riviera. So the betting odds, I'll give you one guess. He pulled out of this, <laughs> pulled out of the AT&T um, early in the week. Um, but DJ is the odds on favorite. Yeah. Um, and then they got Roy McElroy next, which is a little surprising because he hasn't been, I mean, he's been playing okay, but he hasn't really 
made any huge moves. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that's probably moved up the board a little bit is Speed at thirty-three to one. Yeah, <laughs> he's ahead of a, you know a couple of guys like Joaquin Neiman, who's been playing pretty good, and Scotty yep. Scheffler, who's been playing pretty good. So we'll see yeah. whether his his form holds or not. Those are pretty interesting. I checked out the power rankings, and there's some similar lineups there. Um, but yeah, obviously number one, DJ number one player in the world some pretty amazing stats with him too um but six top four finishes among nine top tens at riviera so he oh that's what dj has yeah yeah that's pretty good that's pretty good (laughs) (laughs) and he he's he leads the tour in adjusted scoring so it's like i guess he's built to play riviera pretty much and he's just so i mean People don't really talk about it this much, but he is long. He's so long. And when you get a nice sea level course out in LA, um, maybe the weather's going to be a little sticky. He's carrying it 20 yards further than most people. Like, it's such an advantage. Such yeah. An- He's, like I said, and for him, it's easy speed. It's just, you oh. know, there's a few guys on there that can, that can ramp it up if they want to. But, you know, don't necessarily need to on a day-to-day basis. So yeah, when, when he goes soft at it, he's high 170s. Yeah. Like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, he's, like I said, he, he's just got a swing that's, that's built for it. So, but that, saying that, I actually think Cantley's going to win it this week. He's been, he's been on a roll and yeah. I think, I think he'll get it done this week. I think he'll continue his hot streak and get it done this week. Plus, I think he's from the area, isn't he? Or is he from Northern yeah, Cal? He's he's ranked eighth in the top or in the, the power rankings. But um, I wonder. Is he a SoCal guy? I th- I think he is. I'm gonna say he's a SoCal guy because it. Pretty sure he's had pretty good finishes in this in the past as well. So yeah, he's had some pretty good ones. Um, I'd say my pick for the tournament. <clears throat> Man, I'm gonna pick Justin Thomas. Um, it's a safe one, I know, but <laughs> he uh, he does play really good there, and uh, and I think he wants to win. So. Well, I don't yeah. think I'm going too far out on him picking Cantley the way that he's been playing and yeah. lately. So it'll be a fun, fun week. Like I said, Corn Ferry gets going this week. So we'll just have to follow that on the the website since there there's no TV coverage of that, which is unfortunate. Um, but good to see the, those guys going again. And then I think the following week um, we get back to where um, all the tours are back, basically. I think we got the PGA, Corn Ferry, LPGA, mm-hmm. um, European tours back, uh, senior tours back. I think it'll be a big week uh, the following week, the end of February. So, yeah, it'll be a be a fun week, and let's see if we can get another because the last two two or three weeks, it's actually been really fun golf to watch down the stretch because there's usually been a little bit of drama and 
and big birds leading to to victories. So it'll be. I don't know if we're going to get that any big birds leading to victory at, at Riviera, but but who knows? That could could play a part in it. So, but until next time, have a great week and hopefully get out to play some golf. Yeah, yeah play good. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of the Buttercuts Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating, review, and subscribe. We appreciate it. Until next time, keep hitting the buttercut.